Amen. Good morning to you all again. We're going to continue our uh, study of the book of Genesis again today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to read through uh, verses 17 through 26. So when you find Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right, Genesis chapter 4, beginning of verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujiel, and Mahujiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, again we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, confessing our, our need our dependence upon you. Lord, you've told us that uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, Lord, here's our sustenance before us. And we've just heard a portion of it read. Lord, make it, um, make us able to receive it in the manner that it is to be received as food for the soul. Lord, may the result be that our lives are changed, sanctified by your truth. May our love for you increase. May our trust in you increase. May our understanding increase, Father, as we navigate our lives in this, uh, in this world that is still under the consequences of the fall. Lord, we need Your wisdom. We need the wisdom of Your Word to understand who we are, why we are here, where we're headed, how we are to interact with the things going on in this world, how we are to interact with one another, care for one another, how we are to reach out to those who need to know you. All of these things, Lord, we need the wisdom of your word. Our lives need to be truth-based and truth-guided. So we pray by your spirit, make it so. And may it all be for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
Well, amen. We continue our study in Genesis, and we're still seeing a continuation here of the effects of the fall. And, of course, that's really not going to stop. I mean, we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to work our way through the book of Genesis. But you, you can work your way through the whole Bible, and you will see the results of the fall uh, all the way through there. And, of course, when, I'm, when I say the fall, I'm talking about the sin of Adam and Eve. And so what we're learning here, of course, one of the things we're learning here is that um, the consequences were immediate and lasting, right? And, and just as we have uh, said many, many times, um, we're all born with a sin nature that we inherit from Adam. Well, here's, of course, we have evidence in our own lives of that, but here's also scriptural evidence of that, the, uh, the progeny of Adam and the struggle, um, the struggle that they have with sin because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God and against God's ways. So a couple things to watch for as we uh, move through here and just kind of keep in mind, um, and I'll try to, you know, talk about some of these things repeatedly just to help us remember. But um, here, what we have in our, our text today and, and, and some portions following, is a focus on two lines, two lineages, two families, you might say, uh, that of Cain and that of Seth. Now, you remember Adam and Eve, uh, first of all, bore two sons, Cain and Abel. And, of course, we, last week we talked about um, Cain murdering Abel. His brother. Um, they both both brought offerings to the Lord. Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's off offering was rejected. And so, out of uh, envy, uh, Cain murdered Abel, his own brother. And of course, that's recorded for us in the first part of this chapter. And now we're, we're going to see, as we're as we're looking at his um, his descendants, uh, and specifically, we're going to focus in on Lamech here in a few minutes. But we see that. It doesn't get better with them, does it? The sinfulness, the, the rebellion against God, and the rebellion against God's ways continues with each generation. So there's the line of Cain, and we'll talk more about that momentarily. And then there's the line of Seth. And Seth um, is given to, to uh, Adam and Eve um, after all this takes place. So, verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Or, or you know, meaning by that, basically in the place of Abel. So, she had, they started out with two sons. Cain killed Abel, and now God um, blesses them uh, with Seth. And these two lines, several generations, uh, specifically right up front here, you've got seven generations of uh, of uh, Cain traced out, and then, and then ten of, of Seth. So these two lines are put before us as a, a line or a lineage of evil. That, of course, is the Cainite line, the line of Cain. And then a, a line or, or family or lineage of, of um, those who fear the Lord. That's kind of generally speaking, but but um, but but that's the way I, 
I think it's highlighted here in the Scripture. And that, of course, is, by the way, is the Sethite line, the, the descendants of Seth. So Cain representing those who continue in rebellion against God, and Seth representing those who um, seek to know God and please God and do God's will. So um, you remember a lot of times we'll define sin uh, as rebellion, right? So when we talk about Adam and Eve sinning, and that's where it all started for us, we talk about Adam and Eve sinning, we're talking about their rebellion against God's rule and rejection of God's ways. And so this continues on. And it continues on in all people. None are excluded. In fact, we're told in Romans, right, all are sinners. All fall, fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter your ethnicity. doesn't matter your, your nationality. Um, we all, in fact, all of our, you, you trace your ancestry. If, if it were possible, we would find that it all traces back Every one of us traced back to Adam and Eve, and we've inherited the sin nature. But there is a, a sort of um, uh, a theme in Scripture of, of two groups of people, those who continually reject God and those who seek after God, seek to know God. Now, again, it's not that these are sinners and these are not. We're all sinners. But... These sinners over here, which are represented in our text today by the, by the line of Cain, they just continue in that, unrepentant. While these over here, and they're represented by the line of Seth, um, seek after God, call upon God. And it's by God's grace, of course. I mean, it's not, not that uh, one person is better than the other. Um, but um, that theme... And I just want us to notice that here because it continues throughout the Scripture. In other words, you've got the people of God set over against the world. And it, it, it plays out in different ways, manifests in different ways. So, I mean, for example, a little bit later, we, we'll, we'll come across, uh, Lord willing, we'll come across Abraham, right? And Abraham is called out of the Ur of the Chaldees, a, a pagan country. And, of course, the, you know, the, the whole world is essentially in caught up in paganism, and God calls Abraham out and to himself, and there um, we, we essentially have Abraham versus the world, and Abraham represents the people of God, and, and in fact, indeed, God's going to um, raise up nations from Abraham, but specifically one, the Hebrew nation will be set apart to um, as God's people under the old covenant framework. So there you would have Abraham against the, versus the world, right? And then a little bit later... Um, this theme will manifest in Ishmael versus Isaac. Ishmael representing the wicked, Isaac representing the chosen of God, the, the, the people of God, the children of the promise. And then a little bit later, um, it manifests again in Esau and Jacob. In fact, Paul uses that in Romans to say that the children of the flesh always persecute the children of promise, right? Esau and Jacob. And then you could just kind of widen that scope out a little bit and talk about the Israelite, the, the nation of Israel as a whole versus the world. And then that plays out in different ways. You know, Israel versus Assyria or Israel versus Babylon or, or Israel just versus the whole world. You know, that's why you have these um, categories of Jew and Gentile, a, a two-peopled separation. 
And then you get over to the New Testament and we find out that the true people of God are not a specific ethnicity, but the true people of God are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so essentially it plays out there and from then on in the form of the church versus the world. Or you could say the kingdom of God versus the world. And, I, and you get that story repeated again and again in the book of Revelation as, as a, it's bringing us to the end. You know, the, the church or the people of God, the kingdom of God versus um, the world. What In Revelation, the author there, John, likes to call the down dwellers. The, those who those who dwell upon the earth is usually the way it's translated. The, the church versus those who dwell upon the earth. Or you could say those who are of the kingdom versus those who are of the world. And that's the that's the real the reality of you by the time you get to Revelation, you've got you've got the reality before us. In other words, what are the people of God? Well again, it's those who have been born again by the grace of God. And through faith in Jesus Christ, come to God, trusting in Christ for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. And everyone else and the people of the world are just those who um, reject the gospel or are outside the kingdom of God. But all of that begins here in Genesis. And we actually saw it... uh, um, spoken about earlier, didn't we, in the garden, when God cursed the serpent. Remember, the serpent came and deceived Eve. God had instructed them, you know, you can have all of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good of knowledge of good and evil. And so, <clears throat> what did they do? They ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then God cursed the serpent. <clears throat> and back in in, uh, well, we can just look at it. You know, it's only, only have to, you don't have to go far back to find it. In, in chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's pretty much the gospel according to Moses right there, okay? <laughs> that's a... That is speaking about the gospel of Jesus Christ um, through the pen of Moses here in, in Genesis. Um, or, or, you know, of course, these are the actual words of God spoken in the, in the garden. But he's, it, it is a reference to, ultimately, ultimately it's a reference to Christ, Jesus Christ, defeating Satan, winning victory over sin and death. But again, remember this, this little dualism I've been talking about, this, 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 um, this um, kind of struggle between uh, the people of God and the, and the people of the world. So, so in the meantime, there's this struggle going on between the seed or the offspring of the serpent and the seed or offspring of the woman. And the seed and the offspring of the woman, of course, uh, you would say, well, that's, that's an easy one to figure out. That's all of mankind. In fact, Eve's called the mother of all living. Yes, but I think there's also some, some symbolism involved here. In other words, the seed of the woman um, would be, again, a way of referring to the people of God. 
And the seed of the serpent is a way of referring to children of the devil, unbelievers, the world, those who are not only in the world, but of the world. And, and by the way, you, you can kind of, uh, uh, John has a vision, you know, that basically lays it out that way in Revelation chapter 12, where there's a woman who gives birth and so forth, and Satan is after the child and the woman trying to kill them. Um, so what we have here with Cain and with Seth, again, Cain representing his line representing evil, or you could say his line representing the seed of the serpent. That is, in other words, just, just people who do evil. They're, they remain unrepentant and in rebellion against God. But then Seth's line represents the righteous, just, just meaning people whom, whom God has called unto himself, like we talked about Abraham and others, whom God has called unto himself to worship him. So while the seed of Cain is marked by rebellion, or you could say continual rebellion, the seed of Seth is marked by worship. Now, let's do what... Um, let me just go back and mention a couple things here, and then we'll focus in for a few minutes on Lamech. Verse 17, and I'm back in chapter 4. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son. Now, it says he, when he built a city, it's probably what we would think of as like a settlement, right? So, I mean, don't, don't picture Dallas or something like that. <laughs> Um, you know, or even, a, you know, you see, you've seen some of the ancient cities. It's probably something like a settlement. The word here can mean that. The word that's used here can mean that. And he names it after his son. So one of the things, another thing I want us to, to notice here is that, and it's interesting that God would, uh, by his spirit, <laughs> determine that this be recorded for us. But this is the beginning of civilization. So it's, it's just interesting that while, while we already, right off the bat, we, we're going to see um, man, in, in some ways, advancing, doing things, um, using the uh, uh, create, creative resources that God has um, provided man with to, uh, to do what God commanded to do, to, to fill the earth and subdue it, right? So go out, um, multiply, procreate, subdue the land, that is, build cities, form, um, and all that kind of thing. So this is already going on. And, and as civilization is born and advances, at the same time, sinfulness continues. And uh, in some sense, even seems to increase. Um, so that, that should kind of help us with this idea. I mean, even today, the world is out there telling us that the answer to our problems is what things like education, right? Uh, in other words, if we can just if we can just know more and do more and advance more in technology and knowledge and all of this kind of thing, then we'll solve a lot of our problems. Well, we may solve some problems, but we won't solve the root problem. And no matter how much we advance technologically, um, we will still be sinners apart from Jesus Christ. So that's what we're seeing already play out here. 
Now, verse 18 says, To Enoch was born Erod, and to Erod, Erod fathered Mahujel, and Mahujel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech. Now, Moses kind of shines a spotlight on Lamech here, so we're going we're gonna to talk about him for a few minutes. And remember, again, this is a direct descendant of Cain. And we're going to see that if anything has changed in terms of sinfulness, it's not that it's gotten better, it's, it's gotten worse. So verse 19, And Lamech took two wives. And by the way, this is, this is one of the marks of, of uh, the sinfulness that we're seeing play out here. Here is the first mention of polygamy. And it's in direct contradiction to the instruction that, that, uh, that God gives back in chapter 2. So, for example, back in chapter 2, when, Adam, uh, when God gives Adam Eve, Adam says in verse 23, this, is at last, this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then he says this, Therefore, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So you've got one man, one woman, and the two become one. And Jesus actually quotes that in Matthew 19, reaffirming that uh, when, when he's asked uh, about divorce. So you've got one man, one woman, the two become one. There, there is no other legitimate definition for marriage, okay? Um, I mean, that's, that's the way God designed it. That's how it's supposed to be. Now we've got a departure from that with Lamech. And he takes two wives. The name of the one was Ada. The name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Now, again, notice, um, before we start talking about the sinfulness here, notice the advances that are taking place in terms of civilization. Uh, even, even among wicked men. Uh, and that's because, again, because we're created in the image of God, right? And, it's, and, and even though the, uh, the image of God on man was uh, marred beyond um, repair, at least humanly speaking, apart from an act of God, um, during the fall, the image of God was marred. It wasn't totally taken away. It wasn't totally destroyed. So even, and this is a, <laughs> a fascinating thing, uh, one that's kind of hard to get our minds around. But even in our sinful state, we bear the image of God. We are created in the image of God. So there are ways that um, that is, it just doesn't change. It's inescapable. So we are, um, for example, we're moral beings, right? We're not brute beasts. And I know sometimes you read about somebody uh, committing a heinous crime and we think, that guy's a beast. And, and, of course, you know, we say that because of the horrific nature of the crime. But we don't really think that 
that guy's a beast. It's a human being. human being that has gone badly wrong, but a human being nevertheless. A human being that bears the image of God. We are moral creatures. And, and part of being created in the image of God is, is uh, our creativity. All right, so it's interesting here. You kind of, it seems like you've got uh, basically um, three things mentioned here that uh, as, as uh, having their start. First, you've got uh, Jabal in verse 20. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So Jabal, you know, he's, this is the beginning of the agribusiness, I suppose, right here. You know, he's a farmer, and he's the father of those who... who um, did farming and, and agriculture. And then his brother Jubal. And he's a musician. The father of those who play the lyre and pipe. So, so you might say here's the beginning of, of uh, or at least as far as the evidence we have, the beginning of arts, right? So you've already got agriculture and arts and then thirdly technology. Zilla also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So it's interesting. I mean, right, it doesn't take long because of the, the creative power that God has blessed man with. Um, he, is, he is going out and, and doing things, creating things, um, forming, creating um, probably, when, when he says instruments of bronze and iron, you know, uh, weaponry and tools and those kinds of things. So civilization is being born and it's advancing even though man is sinful to the core. But at the very same time that that advance is taking place, it, it's not, it's not uh, diluting, diluting the sinfulness. It's not as though, well, you know, these, these, these guys are learning to do more and they're, 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 they're making more, making life easier in some ways and they're learning and so forth and therefore sin is decreasing. No, that's not happening. If anything, it's increasing. In fact, by the time you get to uh, Noah's day in chapter 6, it's gotten incredibly bad. So let's, as I said, Moses does, let's, let's shine the light on Lamech here. Lamech, who's already, we know, uh, a polygamist. And he says this, you might call it the song of Lamech, and, and you just kind of, you can almost just picture a guy, you know, just kind of uh, beating his chest. You know, I'm, uh, I'm number one. You know, it's, I'm, I'm the greatest, that kind of thing. That's kind of what he's doing here. He's bragging. I mean, this is a, a boast. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, what is he doing here? Well, you, you, we can see, first of all, um, his evil heart on display, not just in the polygamy that we've already mentioned, um, but now in his boasting and... and uh, I mean, you, you even kind of catch that tone when he says, you know, listen, listen, you wives of Lamech, hear my voice. 
And then he begins to brag about killing a man. And his logic, I think, is, is this. Let's just go back for just a moment. When, when Cain killed Abel, Cain complained, complained to God and he said, uh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And so God marked Cain so that no one would, uh, would kill him. And in verse 15... Of chapter 4, just up above a little bit, verse 15, the Lord said to him, If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Now that's what Lamech is referring to here when he said, If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech is seventy-sevenfold. So Cain killed Abel. God said, Okay, you're going to be a, a, a fugitive, a wanderer. Um, and Cain said, well, you know, and, and he cast him out of the land, basically. And Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And, you know, they're gonna, people are going to kill me. Whoever finds me will kill me. And God said, no, that's not going to happen because if somebody does that, revenge on them is going to be sevenfold. And again, the number seven here just um, representing a perfect... Uh, a, a per, perfection, so you know, and he's gonna he's gonna have the, the the ultimate revenge, so to speak. God is gonna bring down on them if they kill Cain. So God graciously provides this protection, and and uh, that may seem strange, but it may just be because, um, well, it's because God is good and God is gracious. But but a, a part of the reason may be because um, He has commanded them to fill the earth, right? To multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and so He allows Cain to be. A, uh, to continue on and be a part of that and provides this protection for him. With the promise, he, he marks him, and then with the promise of sevenfold revenge to anybody who tries to kill Cain. Now, here's what I think is the logic of Lamech. Lamech says, I have killed a man for wounding me. Now remember, Cain killed Abel just merely out of envy, right? God accepted Abel's offering, rejected Cain's, and Cain... Killed Abel. No, we would say, for no good reason. It was just envy. And I think what Lamech is doing here is, is basically saying, I had a reason. I killed a man like Cain killed a man, but I killed a man for wounding me. But his logic here is warped, to say the least, to... to Render death for a wound, and so it's a. It, it seems to be what he's describing here is a gross injustice, punishment for an offense, uh, a punishment that doesn't fit the offense, doesn't correlate. It's extreme. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me, and with that logic, he goes on. Um, and says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, which it was, Cain killed a man for no good reason, and God said revenge will be sevenfold on anybody that tries to kill him, then Lamech is seventy-sevenfold. And I, I think the idea here, what Lamech is saying is, Cain killed a man for no good reason. I had a good reason. Because in his warped thinking, uh, somehow he, he justified killing someone for a mere wound. 
But in his mind, in his thinking, he had good reason. So he's saying, if God protected Cain and promised sevenfold revenge on anybody who would harm Cain, then mine's going to be 77-fold. He's taking the number of perfection to, to an extreme here. Mine's going to be just a, an abundant outpouring of revenge. And it's a sin of presumption. God did this for Cain. He's going to do not only that for me, but even more. And what Lamech is doing is justifying his evil. So civilization begins and begins to advance and increase. And yet, with all of that, the rebellion continues. The rebellion against God, the rejection of God's ways. Like I say, you see that in the injustice here of Lamech's revenge on the young man who struck him. You see a rejection of God's ways and Lamech's polygamy. You see a rejection of God's ways in, in just his overall attitude, disposition of pride, his boastfulness, his willingness to even seek revenge as evidence of that, to take things into his own hands. But then also, while all of this is going on and playing out among these generations, civilization is being born and growing and sinfulness continues and it continues at an increasing degree. While all of that is taking place, God still provides hope. Still brings hope into the, to the picture. Verse 25, Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. And that word offspring is the same word that was used back in 3.15 when uh, God said to Satan, your offspring, your seed shall bruise the heel of the woman's seed, the woman's offspring. And the woman's seed, or the woman's offspring, shall bruise your head. So Eve, no doubt, um, thinking uh, with that in her mind, probably, um, she says, God has provided for me another seed in place of Abel. And if Lamech was a bad apple, and he was, I mean, you've heard the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? And in the case of Lamech, in, in uh, his coming from Cain, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, did it? And if Lamech is the bad apple here, then what we have in Seth is a seed of hope. A seed of hope. And this is exactly how it's going to play out in the rest of the biblical narrative. Ultimately, this is the line that Jesus is going to descend from.
So in the middle of all of this evil that is playing out, and we're not done with it yet. We're going to see plenty more. And, of course, it's, it's always there as you go through the Old Testament and as you go through the New Testament, as you walk through your own life and we, we, we see the things that we see and hear the things that we hear and deal with the things that we have to deal with. With, with all of the increase of knowledge and technology, sinfulness just seems to abound, doesn't it? It increases as well. But, of course, we know from the Word that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So even in these early stages, here, or go back in Genesis 3, at the, at when the fall actually took place, and God brings in hope. He brings in hope. He brings in hope, a promise of something to come. Someone to come who brings salvation. And that whole, that whole lineage, that whole line, that whole, that whole if you think of the people of God as a, as a race, like Peter calls us in, in his epistle, chosen race, is represented here in the lineage of Seth. An appointed offspring instead of Abel. Verse 26. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see the, you see the difference that, that Moses is pointing out here? You've got, you've got Cain and his descendants, and there's, just, there's this continual rebellion that's going on, and it just uh, seems to be unrepentant rebellion they, as they continue. And by the way... If you remember where we left off last week in, in uh, 416 when, when uh, God um, brings sentence upon Cain and then promises the protection, verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Mark that out because that, that is key here. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's where... And how Cain raised his family. Away from the presence of the Lord. In the land of Nod or wandering. And so that's how they're characterized. Generation after generation. Resisting God's rule. Rejecting God's ways. But as I said earlier, on the other hand... Seth, and his line here representing the righteous, the people of God, and they are characterized by worship. Worship. So Moses says, at that time, when the line of Seth is yet young, at that time, people began to call Upon the name of the Lord. I'm going to say a couple things real quick. Um, I don't don't want to go without mentioning this, even though it seems like a little bit different topic, but uh, it's not totally. But um, in in Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, Jesus uses the words of Lamech here. He uses uh, he pulls from Lamech's um, um, wording here in verse 24. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech 
Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. And Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 18 and says, Lord, when somebody offends me, and that's what happened with Lamech, right? He was offended. He was struck. And Peter says, Lord, when somebody offends me, how many times do I forgive them? Seventy or seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. So do you see what Jesus is doing? He's, he's turning Lamech's revenge on, on its head. I mean, Lamech says, look, you, you strike me, and you're going to get revenge 77-fold. Abundant revenge, Right? Jesus turns that on his head and says, look, when you're offended, when someone offends you, give them 77-fold forgiveness. It's a better response. Better response to offense than Lamech's response. Right? And there's a better response just in general to our own sinfulness than that of Cain and Lamech. I mean... Who knows exactly what was playing out in their mind? Maybe, maybe they were in denial. Maybe Cain certainly seemed to be. You know, where's your brother? What? Am I my brother's keeper? So the way they would deal with their sin was either deny it, make excuses for it. You know, that's what we find Lamech doing here. I killed a man for striking me, but I'm justified in that. And in fact, God's going to protect me even more than he did Cain. I mean, he's making excuses justifying his wickedness. There's a a better response to our sinfulness. Or say it this way. There's a better way to deal with sin in our lives. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. Joel 2.32 Acts 13.33, Romans 1.17, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. That is to acknowledge our sinfulness and not continue in it, but turn to Christ. Not making excuses for it. Turn to Christ, confessing our sinfulness to Him. Calling upon That's what they're doing here. They're calling upon Him for mercy. They're calling upon Him in worship. Praising Him. Confessing dependence upon Him. And acknowledging failures. So, two ways put before us here. The way of Cain, or you might say Lamech. The way of Cain and Lamech, that lineage. The Cainite lineage and the way of Seth, the Sethite lineage. One is totally the way of man, right? And the proverb says, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. The end of it is destruction. That's the Cainite way. That's to deny sin or to make excuses for it or something along those lines. All the while just... Continuing in it without remedy. And then the other way is the Sethite way, right? Which really ultimately is the the way of Jesus. It is to come to Christ in humble submission, asking for forgiveness of sins. 
and trusting in what Jesus did in His own life, death, and resurrection. Trusting in what Jesus did for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. That's the better way. Would you stand, please? And we'll have a word of prayer and dismiss. Again, I just request that you pray for us as we go out to the prison this afternoon. And... uh, Pray that God open ears to hear there as well. Amen. And and give us the, the words to speak. And may the Lord be glorified. Let's pray. Um, Joel, you mind leading us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed.